Welcome, everybody, to another edition of Stick a Fork in It. We're really excited today to have a special guest with us, with Dean of the College of Arts and Sciences, Mr. Dr. Eric Eisenberg. How are you doing yes. today? Doing fantastic. I'm so happy to be talking with you guys. We're excited to be here on location. We love when we're on location. Well, the campus is a little bit empty, but it won't be for long. Good. When do you guys go back to full capacity? Well, we go back to full capacity on June 28th, but the students really don't start showing up for the fall until right at the beginning of August. Nice. Uh, One of the interesting things this year is that the freshmen from last year really were not much on campus. Right. And so we're doing orientations for the sophomore as well, sophomores as well as the freshmen, because we know they're going to be like shot out of a cannon. (laughs) Right. uh, Be here on the college campus and and having that kind of freedom. So... uh, we're excited. We're doing a lot of programming for them. It's almost well, like having two freshman classes. It is. It is. It is. I didn't realize that until the student affairs started talking about it. I was like, of course, you know, this is, they've been locked up and they're, they're ready to go. Well, and they get to have that experience. That's a uh, experience everybody should have when they start college is Absolutely. to have that orientation. Yep. See the campus. I just got lost here, and I'm here all the time. I mean, USF has grown over the years. It's a behemoth over here. Yeah, and it's not just here. We we have campuses now yes. in St. Petersburg and uh, and also Sarasota, and yeah. that's part of because of consolidation. We're all one university now. So, yeah. uh, we the, the the deans and the department chairs, the faculty are spending more time on all three campuses. Oh, that's great. Um, really trying to build a common culture, which is exciting. Yeah. Yeah. So, which one's your favorite? Oh, well, I love them all equally. <laughs> like babies. Uh, and well, one of the great things is that we can now offer students the option of coming to USF but having a different kind of experience. Yeah, sure. And if you're a working professional, you want to take classes mostly at night. Um, the Sarasota campus might be perfect for you right now. They may have freshmen in the future. They don't yet. Uh, if you want to live in probably the nicest apartment overlooking uh, the Gulf that you'll ever live in, you can yeah. go to St. Pete right. and have small classes, know your, know your teachers campus. very well. And then if you want the, you know, the big research intensive, confusing campus, this is, this is the place for you. So still very beautiful, still very beautiful. Oh my goodness. Well, I've been here a long time. I've been here 25 years. And uh, I remember when Betty Castor became president, her first job was to plant trees because it used to be, especially in the warm months, it it was, it was, it was barren and it was hot and, uh, uh, but now we have we have a beautiful greenway through the campus, uh, and so it's 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 really the, the amount of construction. Not so much in the last few years, but over the last twenty years has just been extraordinary. We bring alumni back all the time, and they don't even recognize the place. Yeah. I mean, it's just like wow, look what you look what you've done with the place. Yes, 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 exactly. It's incredible. So, how has it changed for you from you know when you arrived and and it was a much smaller place? What's what is it? What's the biggest difference, do you think? Well, you know, it, it's hard to talk about how much the university has changed without talking about how much Tampa has changed. It's true. Um, because in a way, I, I'm always reminded of the fact that the sort of the narrative of the city and the narrative of the community has sort of tracked along with the narrative of, of the big university. And so um, what I've noticed is it's become more sort of culturally and socially diverse. Hmm. Um, I've noticed that... Um, it's become more sort of uh, focused in its ambitions. Um, there's a sense in which um, 
there was I don't want to say complacency, but there was a sort of sort of a regional local feeling about it, and now there's all these aspirations, yes. you know, where Tampa wants to be an a city, and and people are really uh, recognizing us. I, I would go see my friends uh, around the country, and and they hadn't heard of USF, and now when I go out there, of course they've heard of us, and uh, and that's fantastic yeah. too. So, yeah, a lot of a lot of things have changed. Um, but the sort of spirit of this place, which is that um, we're undeterred in sort of our aspirations to always be better and to be innovative and all that is, is really what drew me here 25 years ago and is what keeps me here as well. Well, it's amazing, even just in the past decade, to see how the university has grown its reputation, yep. grown its uh, research reputation, yep. grown in, in so many ways to be you know, in that preeminent tier. Um, how, how has that affected your work? Well, um, I think that the fact that we were the fastest growing research university in the country, uh, over the first decade of the, of the 21st century is a testament to the fact that you can be a research university and at the same time still care about undergraduate education and still care about your community. Um, the, the truth of the matter is that there are lots of schools that have been around a lot longer than USF have that have tried this in lots of different ways. And so you can build a kind of lopsided model where you build a sort of ivory tower of research and you sort of keep your hands off the community and you never touch an undergrad, right? Uh, you, some, of you, some of our listeners, I'm sure, have went to places where you had TAs all the way through school and yep. you didn't you know, mm-hmm. touch a faculty member. We tried something different here, which is that we want to be community engaged, we want to be research intensive and we want to really care about student success especially at the undergraduate level and balancing between those three has been really really gratifying Um, especially and this is something I think a lot of your listeners will be interested in um, we have been very attentive to the socioeconomic and ethnic diversity of our undergraduate class while we're raising our uh, admission standards And that is sort of the secret sauce of USF, is that we are one of the few universities that has closed the achievement gap between black students, Hispanic students, white students, international students. They all succeed at the same level, and and most universities uh, can't say that. Uh, Even Pell Grant recipient students are achieving and graduating at the same level. Uh So somehow managing to stay focused on the diversity, on student achievement, and research, and community engagement that's sort of, those are our touchstones. Yeah, it's, it's quite the compliment to the culture that you've built here over the yes. past 25 years. And the and, leadership. And the leadership of the, of the place, for I, sure. Uh, you know, it's, I'm an organizational theorist, and, and uh, you know, you, you look at the landscape of higher education. I'm not sure you guys know this, but there are about 4,300 colleges and universities, and there are all different ways to do it. What makes us unique is the sort of intersection between the research intensivity and our location in a metropolitan area. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't argue with the fact that the University of Florida, for example, is a fantastic research university, you know, all those wonderful things. But it's, it's in Gainesville. It's not it's not in Tampa so the opportunities are different Mm -hmm. for research for internships those kind of things so we rather than trying to uh, follow the same playbook that a University of Michigan or North Carolina or Florida would follow we're saying let's really embrace our location let's embrace the communities that we serve and are part of and see if we can grow as part of them. And we know that there is no great city in the world that doesn't have a great research university. So we want to be that. We mm-hmm. want to be that. 
Well, and I've noticed, you know, there's a word that you continue to say over and over, which is community. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I think that that is a, a unique strength of the University of South Florida. Mm-hmm. I think it's something, you know, like you said, to to carry the ambition that you have, to grow at the pace that you have, to uh, accelerate the academic reputation in the way which you have, mm-hmm. and yet still maintain that focus on the impact you're having on the surrounding community is, is really a, an incredible achievement. What is it that you think um, you do so well about staying in touch with the community? Well, I think it's, um, there are lots of ways to think about the community and there are lots of different communities, right? So um, my colleague over in the College of Business, the Muma College of Business, Moez Lamayam, um, he, when he got here, uh, really deeply engaged with the business community. And um, I loved it during his uh, his interview. He said, I'm going to hit the ground listening, which I thought was fantastic. Nice. And he built real relationships with CEOs from across the entire region. I think it's not about impact, and it's not even about service. It's about engagement, and it's about partnership. And it's saying, okay, what are our common interests, and how can we work on these together? So I think that's really that's really key. Um, the other thing I will say is that um, this region is kind of known for its political fragmentation. And so what's good for Pinellas is not necessarily good for Hillsborough, is not necessarily good for Pasco and Manatee and that sort of thing. USF, with these three campuses, now has a unique historic opportunity to be the bridge for real regionalism in this area. In other words, getting our elected officials on the same page and saying whether it's sea level rise or climate change or transportation, these are things that cut across, and USF can help bring the parties to the table. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's really starting to happen, which is really wow. exciting to me. Yeah, it's, it's one of those things that we think about a lot in the social services world, right? Yep. Pinellas County alone has 26 municipalities. I know. Which is insane. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's totally... Hillsborough has three, I think, or yeah, four. Three. Yeah, three. Right. Three, and it's four times the landmass. So, right, you know, right. that's it right. tells you all you need to know about the yeah. weirdness of our community. And uh, to think about the diversity, even just within Hillsborough County, of... Uh, cultures, diversity of living situations. You yep. have very, very rural. Like f- nobody realizes that Fort Lonesome is in Hillsborough <laughs> yeah, County. Yeah, 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 you yeah. know, it, it might as well be in rural South Carolina, but it, yep. it, it's right here in the same county as you know, urban core Tampa, and it's really a challenging place to have a unity like you're talking. It about. is, and I'm, I think uh, the whole Go Hillsborough Transportation Initiative and the way that tax uh, fell out and then got repealed as a good example of that is is the needs are so different. The transportation needs are so different and so it's hard to get people to agree on things. But I think one people one thing everybody agrees on is that um, it's important for kids to get an education. It's transformational for their families. And so I think we are sort of the honest bridge uh, that can bring together the political interests and sort of say, look, we need to, we need to be focused together so that we can sort of um, lift all the boats you know, in the area. One of the things that um, I personally have been doing since I became dean is I got involved in the university area uh, community development corporation. And so I've been vice chair for a number of years. I've been on their board and I've been working with Sarah Combs, who I know you guys know, um, to uh, really transform the university area in a way that doesn't uh, gentrify and push people out of the neighborhood. And what's been so gratifying to me is that 
there are multiple uh, faculty and students in my department and in my college and in other colleges who are working in the community. And all you really need to do is sort of visualize all of that activity, right? Mm -hmm. So we have um, anthropologists working on the brownfields and reclamation of contaminated sites. Um, we have, uh, obviously, David Himmelgreen and his work yes. on food insecurity, right? We'll, we'll come back to that. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, now we have uh, Brianna Fox and Edlin Verona and their new Center for Justice Research who are focused on policing uh, in the area. So I think we all, especially you guys in the nonprofit world, you know that the only way you, you accomplish anything is by taking a systems approach and a wraparound approach, and you really need to put your arms around the problem in all the different ways. So it's not enough to just build a park or put street lights up. Or Actually, we did build a park in the university yep. area, and now we're having issues with, okay, what do you want to do if homeless people want to uh, sleep in the park? Well, how can we talk with those people and see if we can improve their situation, right? Mm -hmm. and, and if they're hungry, and, and on and on and on. Uh, we built a, a band shell. So that uh, we can bring music. We do the Uptown Music Festival. Um, so um, I think we're having an impact. And uh, I was at the University of Southern California before I came here. And we were just at the point where we we're learning that lesson. It was in a very impoverished community in South, yeah, Central, South Central Los Angeles. Angeles. Uh, but we really learned the lesson that if you engaged with and um, respected on equal footing with your surrounding communities, mm -hmm. that the synergy and the benefits could be truly mm -hmm. tremendous between the two. And so I've tried to, to carry through with that here. And it seems to be working, but it is a, what works is slow, organic, and real. Yeah. And uh, relational. And, and right. well, totally. That's what I mean by yeah. organic. Yeah, it's yeah. relational. And uh, not everybody comes along at the same pace. Uh, but re that's what real change looks like, it seems to me. Well, and, you know, I'm, I'm so glad you brought up your your relationship with UACDC because mm -hmm. it was actually on our notes to talk about. Um, yeah. You know, we, we are great great partners with, with that organization and yeah. big fans of Sarah and her team. And, mm -hmm. you know, the, the transformation of this community is just incredible over the past decade. You know, yeah. I think, uh, one of the things that I just stuck with me, um, maybe a decade ago, uh, came over here and was, was having a conversation with the team here about challenges at USF. And, um, mm -hmm. one of the things that I remember vividly, uh, somebody mentioned was that when someone comes to visit USF and you get off of 275, That's right. That's that experience, right. that two mile drive mm -hmm. or whatever it is, two, three miles from, from the interstate over to the campus. I remember it. Yeah, it, it and that has you know it continues to change, but um, certainly there's a there's an impact there, and and for Sarah and her team, and for all the other great nonprofits that that they partner with and and do so work many. in this community, um, you know, my wife used to teach not too far from here at Shaw Elementary School, mm -hmm. and um, you know, I was not a huge fan of her driving through that area late at night, and um, you know, to to see how the community has changed is a, a testament to the investment that you and, and so many others have made. Well, I think it, it's it's important to be a student of history, too, and understand how this happened. Um, a couple years ago, I brought, I brought Matthew Desmond to come speak, who wrote the book Evicted, about how our uh, federal policy around taxes really uh, led to the federal savings and loan crisis, <clears throat> which, which led to uh, what used to be called Suitcase City. And frankly, I'm so pleased nobody calls it that anymore. It's now the university area, which sounds so much nicer. Or maybe uptown. I mean, it could yes, be uptown. could be uptown as yeah. well. 
yeah. So, um, yeah, I think I think that's exactly right, and I think that we are um, continuing to try to do it organically, do it in partnership, um, and to uh, make sure that the university is a responsible um, uh, neighbor and partner in, in working that through. One of the things that I've learned um, is that the um, the issue is not so much an issue of resources and money. You would think it would be. Um, but as much as anything, it's an issue of having the right model and being able to break out of the old ways of thinking about what is a university, what is a community, what is a main street, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I toured the... Um, the mall the other day, that, uh, which I guess is going to be called Rhythm uh, now, I think. Oh, okay. Research and Breaking news. Yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. <clears throat> anyway, so I, so I toured it. And, of course, you know, Tim Moore and Diamond View Stu- Studios are there. Yep. It's extraordinary. Um, and the Institute for Applied Engineering is there, uh, which is amazing. And I'm actually thinking of moving a bunch of uh, my research institutes uh, into the mall. But the challenge that they have is quite simply not one of money. The challenge is what is what is a mall today, right? right? What is a neighborhood? Right. What what are these things? And if we can be creative enough to think of something that's truly a breakthrough kind of thing, uh, then we'll be able to we'll be able to build it because everybody's going to be excited about it. But right now, it's like where's the J.C. Penney's and where's the Sizzler Steakhouse and <laughs> right. you know right. I mean right. all those kind of things. I mean, don't you get the feeling when you when you uh, drive around sometimes that um, you know, it's like if, if you see a new development going up, you know it's going to be a bank, a Publix, and a CVS. Or a Walmart. There's got to be more thoughts than that, right? <laughs> right. You know, that sort of thing. If so, there's uh, a Bed Bath <clears throat> Beyond, then there must be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. <laughs> but you know, what's, I don't know if you've walked through the mall lately, but, you know, you, you, you've got like a robotics lab. Then you've got a pharmacy and a free health clinic. Um, then you got the Institute for Applied Engineering, and then you've got Bourbon Chicken, yes, and Anna Spencer's <laughs> Gift, which wow. I, you know, which okay. is so. It's, and it's, the, the reason I love that is because that is like disruption in action. Exactly. I mean, you can see the old thing being taken apart, and then the question is, okay, what do we build that's new? Um, and you, I can just imagine um, if we could link from where the botanical gardens is here mm-hmm. over to where the new student housing is going up in there, and there's going to be a hotel over there. There's going to be gathering places. I mean, just so many things that we can do to sort of embrace sort of the future of learning. Yeah, uh, absolutely. In that kind of living learning laboratory, there's a nonprofit bicycle shop in the mm-hmm. in the mall that does <laughs> yeah. fantastic. John's work. place, yeah, yeah the well built is fantastic. Gotta love John. And, yeah. and then you know, of course, Spencer's, which to me is like the cockroach of uh, <laughs> retail. It cannot it be killed, not, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> As long as long as there are thirteen year old kids who are like that's, trying that's to freak right. their parents out by getting that yes. poster or that exactly. coffee mug, you poster. know that kind of thing. What do those socks say? <laughs> Don't look. This podcast was made possible by the innovative thinking and the funding of Feeding America, a nationwide network of more than two hundred food banks that feed more than forty six million people through food pantries, soup kitchens, shelters, and other community based agencies. So uh, yeah, so I think uh, I think that that the um, the lesson is whether it's um, St. Petersburg or whether it's Sarasota or whether it's here, the lesson is that uh, the University of South Florida really wants to be uh, the kind of institution that is sort of um, 
blue-collar, working-class, on the ground with our communities doing work that makes a difference. So the, the, the faculty we hire, are they do applied research, you know, whether it's we have a leading program in applied anthropology, applied sociology, applied uh, physics. I mean, these are real, real programs because mm-hmm. that's what makes us unique as an institution. Well, and and you can feel it, right? Because yeah, you know, for sure. whether it's Moaz or <clears throat> Dr. Himmelgreen, mm-hmm. anywhere you go in this community, if you're doing nonprofit work, mm-hmm. if you're building a collaborative of of any kind, right. there's going to be a USF partner. You know, whether it's yeah. it, Kevin over at the School of Pharmacy, yep. or yep. you know, they, there's just so many places. And that's the great thing about having such a, a big and multifaceted university is you really yeah. can plug in anywhere. And, um, you know, we certainly have benefited from it. And this is the second time I want to put a put a pin in the conversation about David. But I think we skipped over something really important, which okay. is uh, we'd love to hear about you. you know, yes. Uh, <laughs> our, one of the things that we want to make sure that, that we do in our conversations is, is give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, sure. Um, so I, I've, I have always been kind of a boundary spanner. Uh, I um, went to school to study organizational uh, communication, organizational theory, that sort of thing. I, I started out at Rutgers University, went to uh, Michigan State University. I've taught at Temple University, another uh, metropolitan, then at mm-hmm. USC, also in a city. I th- I'm seeing a pattern here. <laughs> yes. Uh, and now, and, and now I'm here. And so, um, it also got warmer every time there. Right? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. At some point, it's Disney parks. There must be a Disney park uh, nearby. Um, but as I'm, uh, as I think about about myself, um, I've never been comfortable just being on campus. I've always wanted to. Um, have an ongoing interaction with practitioners, both for my own development and also to keep me honest about what I'm teaching the students about, that it actually aligns. And so I started out as a baby professor um, at Temple University, reaching out to community partners to do research, to, to do partnerships and things like that. And I've moved back and forth <clears throat> between the two. Um, and so it's very unusual for someone in communication to necessarily be a dean of arts and sciences. But as I've moved up, I think that my focus on relationships and my focus on interdisciplinarity, getting people to work together, and also specifically on community engagement mm-hmm. has been the thing that sort of fit with the culture and also maybe pushed the culture um, in that direction. So it's been... Um, it's been a great journey. I've been at USF for 20, 26 years now. I uh, raised my kids here in Tampa. They were born in California, but they raised here. Both of my children have uh, two degrees from uh, from USF. My wife has a degree from USF. Um, so we are, we are bulls through mm-hmm. and through. So tell us a little bit about your kids. I'd be happy to after I take a drink. <laughs> 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 so my kids. So um, <clears throat> my oldest child uh, is an introvert and is a uh, passion- passionate about social justice and racial justice. And when he was here at USF, um, he started the USF chapter of SSDP, which is the Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And he wrote the USF Good Samaritan policy so that if you're, you're, you're with somebody on campus and they're having a problem because of drugs and alcohol, you won't get in trouble if you called, call the ambulance or something gotcha. like that. Um, he was actually taking, he majored in sociology. He was taking a class uh, on social movements 
and uh, the professor, Rob Benford, who's recently retired, uh, had them start a social movement organization as their assignment, which was how cool. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yeah, so my son uh, did that. And then uh, it was just at the time that he graduated that he um, the cannabis licenses were being mm-hmm. issued for medical marijuana in Florida. And so uh, he learned everything he could about that. And uh, now he's been working as a dispensary manager and working his way up in that industry. Um, but he's really um, concerned about sort of the sociological aspects of it as well as the patient patient care aspects of it. So that's, uh, that's the oldest child, Evan. My younger child, uh, Joel... Uh, was an undergraduate here in, in cell biology and a minor in philosophy. Thank you very much. Both, 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 both in my uh, college, but very different. Uh, and when he finished, he, uh, he went to medical school at USF. I went through a program called the Select Program, which is interesting if your listeners don't know about it. It's a, they take a small number of students every year as first-year medical students who are going to focus on communication, teamwork, and leadership. Mm. And uh, so that was his focus because he's the extrovert in the family. Uh, their second two years they do at Lehigh Valley uh, Medical Center up in, um, in Pennsylvania. And so he went up there and uh, I got to experience him going through all the different specialties going, nope, not that, nope, not that, <laughs> nope, not that, nope, not that. And at the end, I guess I should have known from the philosophy thing, he ended up as a psychiatrist. Mm. Gotcha. And so uh, he graduated uh, three years ago and he went to Emory. So he is a um, third year re- psych resident at Emory uh, working in Grady Hospital and some of those really tough Atlanta uh, locations. And he's also taking a five-year fellowship in psychoanalysis because he doesn't want to be just focused on medication and and brain stuff, but also Mm -hmm. some talk therapy and things like that. Um, so yeah, great people. And I, you know, they feel an affinity to Tampa and to USF and, uh, uh, both of them had tried other universities as well. And they both told me that their experience here with the faculty here was superior to anything that they had any place else. So that must've been really affirming to hear. It really was, especially <laughs> since the price tag here is very different from what, uh, especially, you might pay. Yeah. Especially when your dad works here. Oh, yeah. Right. Exactly. Right? You exactly. Know. You know, it actually, uh, this generation is different. I mean, back, back, Back in the day, you know, there was this big generation gap thing. I, I find that kids today love to talk about how they're best friends with their parents. and <laughs> they, yeah. they actually do. Yeah. My, my son actually graduated three years ago from yeah. USF Medical School. Yeah. And he speaks very highly, and he's a resident here as well through the oh, school. Oh, fantastic. Uh, what's so, his specialty? Orthopedic surgeon. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. <laughs> he's <jocks>. very busy. <laughs> the jo- yeah, I know. I know. Well, and as the population ages, it's, it's he's, amazing. He's very busy, yeah. But he... Um, had a lot of choices, and he chose because the curriculum, the culture, yeah, yep. um, and he was thrilled all the way through, and still loves being here today. He made it still his first choice. So I I'm mean, like, yeah. if you make USF your first choice, and you went to school here, why are you bothering with the other choices? <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Right. So, <clears throat> yeah. so uh, um, what is it called? The day that you go and they choose match them? day. Match, what a nerve wracking day yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, yeah, if, yeah. If the listeners don't know what match day is, it's it's. Beyond. Well, it, the problem it's so stressful is that not everybody matches. Mm. Yeah, so and there's a lot of tears, and then you're you're matched where on your last of your list, and <laughs> it, it's 
brutal for, yeah. for and I, I say kids. They're grown men and women. <laughs> but uh, it, it's, a, it's a crazy day. But I wanted to know, you know, we were talking before we started, and you, you mentioned what your breakfast was today. So I think you're a bit of a foodie. <laughs> so, you know, you talk about your family. Your wife also yes. went to USF. So if you could tell us a memory around the table, what would a memory be that popped into your mind that sharing food around a table that is just a memory that just pops in that you just is memorable to you? That is the most beautiful question. I love that question. I, and actually, one just popped right into my mind. I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to process it. I'm just going to spit <laughs> yes. it right out of here. Let it flow. <clears throat> so um, typically every year we will make a, a Hanukkah dinner for Hanukkah yeah. with all the traditional stuff. And when my wife and I were deciding to have children, we were discussing what religion we wanted to raise them in. And so we did what any good baby boomers would did. We, we interviewed, you know, every synagogue, <laughs> mosque, you know, will you accept us? We, you know, we've got all the data, you know, we laid it out on the floor. Anyway, it turned out the most welcoming community to us was the Episcopal Church in, in, in Tampa Palms. And uh, so we, 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 uh, we had our children baptized there. It actually started out in a school, and then they, we built a church and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, from the beginning, I was talking to the minister and all of the people who worked with him and said, now you understand that I'm Jewish and, you know, how's this going to go? And he turned out to be a uh, Judaic scholar. Uh, wow. And, uh, you know, he didn't try to convince me, you know, that I shouldn't be <laughs> Jewish. And um, it, was, it, was, it was actually a beautiful time. And about three years into going to that church, we decided to invite him and his family over for Hanukkah dinner. And I don't know that he'd ever done that before. Um, and we got to say the various prayers. We got to talk. Right. About, I got to talk about the history of it. Um, and so we got to eat um, symbolically significant food mm -hmm. with some people who we wouldn't normally sit down and break bread with. And I think we all left that feeling like, you know what? You know, we can bridge these differences. We just need to be open to each other, yeah. which, of course, is, you know, my whole career as a communication person is, is about that, is sure. about promoting that. But that was the time when food was, was, was in the midst. Brought everyone to the table to learn something new. Yeah, it was and enjoy. And That's enjoy. amazing. Oh, you got to enjoy because I am a foodie. I actually am. <laughs> Absolutely. And thank God that uh, Tampa has really, really gotten with the program. I mean, yes. the, even in the last few years, just the explosion of wonderful chefs that have that have come here and are doing great things. I, I you know, it, it's it's almost an embarrassment of riches. Now, remember, I moved here from Los Angeles, so you know, I remember making a list of you know reasons to stay in LA and reasons to leave, and I remember putting weather and food, <laughs> you know, and everything else was get out of here. You know, it's like real estate, traffic, crime, pollution, right? Um, but when I got here 25 years ago, the food choices were not that great, or at no. the very least, they were. They were not that visible. Right. Yeah. I remember going to a cocktail party, and this would have been like 25 years ago, and asking someone, well, where can I get good Italian food? And they told me to go to the Italy exhibit at Epcot. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Unique, if nothing wow. else. Yeah. Back then, Donatello was oh, well, right. the I know. only. Oh, Believe yeah. me. I know. Yeah, that, that was the only one. <laughs> yeah. Well, there may have been some in Ybor, too. I mean, Ybor was actually oh, true, 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 in true. a good yeah. place true. at that time. True. And then, it, yeah, so... Uh, but yeah, I mean, when I think about the food scene, I think about uh, um, uh, BT uh, mm -hmm. and the work that she's done with Vietnamese food mm -hmm. uh, in the community. That, that was, I think, a, a, a major turning point. I think about the uh, the fellow as the place uh, uh, in our, in Hyde Park that used to be 
oh, I'm not remembering his name now. But anyway, there's some great there's some great chefs and uh, and it's been it's been lovely to see. And my, my sons are real foodies too, and so they would always say, "Well, yeah, you like that restaurant, but there's this back alley <laughs> that yeah, you right. you walk until you get really uncomfortable, and then there's a little window, you know, <laughs> and there's pork bellies. I'm like, oh uh, god, you have to do that. So. There, there is a, in uh, in Soho. There's a speakeasy. Yes, uh, yes, yes, I've heard of that. Been yeah, there. yeah, yeah. Go yeah, in there and. There's some amazing food on that mm-hmm. menu. Yeah. So and beverages. Good. Yep. Got to yeah, add some those. Really unique Serious. beverages. So if the boys are in town and everybody decides, hey, we're going to go out for, for a nice meal, let's get something we all love, where are you headed? Hmm. Boy, that's a hard one. Um, well, uh, we love Chena uh, mm-hmm. on the water. Uh, we like the, the way that, uh, that he cooks. Um, trying to think of, of See, where it was uh, i'll let him think here for a second while i say you really know a foodie when they're talking about the names of the chefs yeah. yes yeah 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 exactly we used to have an event foodie. and mike cooked for yes, us yes, yes. yes oh yeah what a great chef he is phenomenal well i saw that he beat bobby flay and um, then I noticed just a few weeks ago that the chef of, at Il Ritorno in St. Petersburg beat Bobby Flay. Mm-hmm. And so my wife and I drove down there. This was right after pandemic was beginning to lift. And we had one of the best meals we've, we've ever had on Central Avenue mm-hmm. uh, in so St. Many Petersburg. Good restaurants down there. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's really extraordinary. So yeah. um, Tampa's really not good for Bobby Flay. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, really. He shouldn't come here. Yeah, <laughs> He'll be really. like, are you from Tampa? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, yeah, I'm exactly, good. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> So and all, we're, we love sushi, so uh, so we do that. I I actually um, I kind of like uh, I like the Noble Crust restaurants. Yes. I think they're good. I do um, too. And uh, Sacred Pepper is interesting. I'm going there this evening. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why I'm, I didn't eat breakfast. By the way, it's it's one of my. <laughs> It's one of my go-tos. It's it one is. of my go-tos. And, uh, you know, I've met the proprietor. Yes. and uh, um, Miss Can- Candy. The Candy DeBartolo. Mm-hmm. And uh, the DeBartolos were very generous. They endowed a, a big-time professorship for us. And so we're always grateful about that. And uh, so I go and eat their meatballs and their, mm-hmm. uh, all that stuff. So there's just something about that that concept of that place that really works. Yeah. Um, it does. So. It's- Anyway, it's just, you know, when I think about the United States and you think about the homogeneity in which we see in food, um, it really is great when a community sort of develops these unique food experiences. Yeah. I always used to think that that New Orleans was kind of the, you know, the place to go for that. You know, you could go places where they hadn't cleaned the table in 20 years, you know, and the best red beans and rice you ever ate. Right? That's you know? one of those alleyway oh, yeah. the corner. Oh, yeah. Well, that's, that's all of New Orleans, really. Well, yeah, um, where the good I, stuff is. I hope your listeners are not, you know. There are parts of New Orleans that are not like that. Um, right. But no, I've Emerald also, owns them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I've always thought that New Orleans uh, had a sense of place that very few American cities do. Yeah. And I think if we're, if we're careful about it, I think Tampa can develop a unique sense of place. Uh, whereas it, it it sort of had so many people coming from the American Midwest um, that it sort of had a you know what didn't have a clear identity and I think the clear identity is sort of coming together I'm not and I'm excited about the fact that I'm not really sure where it's gonna end up <laughs> yeah. uh, but obviously we have to embrace our relationship with the water um, yeah. our relationship with the Caribbean a, re- a relationship with Cuba for sure mm-hmm. right but how that all kind of exactly comes together it's kind of fun to 
<laughs> yeah, we've got a lot of diversity in food. Well, and it's so neat how food really brings that out. Absolutely. Yeah. I uh, So we have a couple of good friends in our neighborhood and, and often the families will get together and eat. And um, one of the couples, the, the wife is from Mexico and mm-hmm. the husband is from Serbia. And his father owns a chain of restaurants in Serbia. And oh so my. he brings oh, these yum. incredible dishes from Serbia that he can cook. And, you uh, know, then it's, you know, but, you know, dessert is going to be, you know, something totally unique from some other yeah. part of the yep, world. Yep, and, yep, yep, yep. Um, it's, it's so neat how we can share about ourselves through food. Yep. You know, and I think that's, it's something that I think about a lot in our work. Mm-hmm. I think about the ways in which we want to ensure that the folks that we serve have that same opportunity. Don't you think it's interesting too that um, there's been this there's been this explosion of uh, television shows about food and mm-hmm. culture, mm-hmm. Um, and they all seem to sort of drift in the same direction. They start out with a sort of aesthetic experience of delicious food, but they almost always move in the direction of understanding the meaning of food for community, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm thinking of obviously Anthony the Bourdain's shows, yeah. but even uh, I don't know if you watch everybody. Anybody feed Phil? Uh, has anyone feed? Somebody feed Somebody Phil? Feed Somebody feed yeah, Phil. Oh, yeah. I haven't seen that it's yet. It's terrific. It's absolutely terrific. It's totally goofy. It's sort of like the, <laughs> if you took Anthony Bourdain and you did bizarro Anthony Bourdain. It's like the opposite, right? <laughs> yeah. But this, but he ends up in the same place only without the deep cynicism mm-hmm. uh, and sort of political commentary. Um but he does a little bit of that as well, and he always visits a place where they're either providing food for the very hungry or they're doing different kinds of things. And then even um, Stanley Tucci now, yeah. yes. walking around Italy. So I think you guys are really on to something, um, because Feeding Tampa Bay and Feeding America always says, you know, it's about hunger, but it's also about um, meaning and community mm-hmm. and bringing people together. Yeah, and you know, the really beautiful thing is that one of the one of the ways that really <laughs> came to the forefront for us was through our partnership with you and through David's research. Indeed. So, yeah. you know, my introduction to feeding Tampa Bay three years ago, one of the first things that was put on uh, on my desk was the first couple of studies that David and his team did. Fantastic, and so you know a really important study around our backpack program. Yes, yes. And, I'm well and the aware. understanding that what we were serving was not culturally appropriate. Right. Sending granola bars and peanut butter to communities that had <laughs> I've no... never seen a peanut butter in their life. <laughs> right, 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 right. And, you know, peanuts are in Georgia. And <laughs> that's yeah, not yeah. exactly the, the cultural experience of a lot of folks in our yep. community now. And, um, you know, it was it was really formative for me Good. as I entered the the food world with with both feet, you know, and then started running full steam ahead building programs and doing different things. It was uh, it, it's just something that has stuck with me every day since that yep. uh, culturally appropriate access is as important mm-hmm. as caloric access. Yeah. You know, not just putting in front of someone the number of calories they need in order to be able to walk through their day and get to the next day. <laughs> right, that right, it's, right, right. You know, I know I have my favorites and there are things that my kids love when I cook and there yeah. are things that we, you know, our favorite restaurants that we return to because they make certain types of food. And, right. um, you know, we, we work really hard at that now as an organization. And I think uh, in doing a large part to the, the research that started here at USF with David and his team. Yeah. And I, let me tell you a little bit about a history of how that came about. So um, 
I, it's been a number of years now, I want to say six years maybe, when David first approached me with this idea. And I think um, he may have been chair of anthropology at the time. And uh, as you, I mean, you could imagine the more he talked about it, the more excited I got for all the reasons we've been talking about. But there's, there's a point I want to make, which is that the reason why it's so impactful to you and the reason why I was so excited about it is that USF does not really have barriers to interdisciplinary collaboration that most yeah. uh, legacy institutions have. And so the original idea was a combination of arts and sciences and the College of Public Health. And so those are two perspectives that are quite different <clears throat> in, in, in coming together around the research. Same thing, by the way, with the Criminal Justice Center that we just started, which is the College uh, Department of Criminology and Department of Psychology. So it's exactly what you're saying, which is that uh, when you start to get multiple perspectives on the problem, you start to see some of the nuances that a singular approach will not let you see. Right. Right. It's not mm -hmm. just about serving meals. It's not just about calorie counts. It's about the context. It's about the meaning. Do you know, even know how to prepare this? Is this, uh, how does it fit with your religious uh, background? I mean, all those different kinds of things. And so uh, when David came to me, I was just thrilled. And then he introduced me to Thomas and we started to talk about it. And indeed, I think the backpack program was one of the first ones that I was involved in as well. And I went to some of the elementary schools and, and watched what they were doing. Um, and I think what, what we bring is this idea that um, through research, we can figure out the best practices yes. for doing the work that you want to do so that mm -hmm. they'll be informed in that way. And as you say, it can be very counterintuitive. Mm -hmm. I mean, you may think I'm going to give everybody an apple and a, and a bunch of peanut butter, and they may say, what is this, right? right. Or right. here's an eggplant. Well, great. What do I do, <laughs> right. with, what do, I do with that? And where's right. the egg, right? You know, kind of right. Um, well, and, you know, for, for our team, uh, as we moved into this new era of ending hunger work, yep. having in front of us what best practices looked like and who who in our community was truly hungry, because that's the other focus of a lot of the work that we do together, mm -hmm. is really understanding the people in our community, yes. yep. their wants, needs, desires, challenges, mm -hmm. barriers, um, and, and how we can best serve them. Marrying yep. that with the best practice research yes. really gives us a huge leg up. So now when I'm at Feeding America doing uh, you know national things with ending hunger community of practice of food banks from all over the country, they're all asking us. Right, you know, and and they're all saying, "Well, how did you understand that? Why?" I That's what we wanted. It's, it's fantastic, <laughs> and of course, we credit USF. And then mm -hmm. we talk about, you know, the story of the last couple of years from the Hunger mm -hmm. Action Alliance into yep. um, what is, uh, you know, it's so exciting to me that we now have this Center for Food Security together, and it's. Well, I love I love the range of things that we're working on. I love the project uh, that focuses on um, using food as a prescription. Yes, uh, yes prescribing. Yeah, yeah, yes. that's fantastic, and uh, and going very well, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yes. yeah. Well, and it's great that the insurance companies are interested because uh, it really makes sense from them to them from a prevention standpoint. Sure. Um, I, we all know that the healthcare system tends to be pretty reactionary, you know, uh, but the idea that you can really Really begin to get at these lifestyle issues and these and these uh, nutritional uh, problems. Um, I think that's that's really important. By the way, going back to the mall, 
I heard a rumor that they may uh, put a fresh fruit a food grocery store uh, in the mall. Ooh. So wow. this, this I'm probably nice. breaking some NDA, <laughs> um, but uh, well, that would be great because that's a good. that's a food desert there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And Absolutely. I'm trying to think. I can't even think of where you'd go to get fresh food. Mm. Well, um, we have a pantry every week. Okay. Um, well, we, at the mall, yeah. Uh, yeah, near it. Yeah. But, yeah. Okay, well, this would be... Uh, but this would be, uh, in nice addition, then. every day, mm-hmm. this is what is needed. Yeah, that would be Certainly. fantastic. The other thing um, is, you know, we are 40% Pell-eligible students, which means we have a lot of students from families below the poverty line, and mm-hmm. so hunger is a real problem mm-hmm. on campus, too. Mm-hmm. And we know that uh, the county is working with uh, the, the center and with you guys to consider a work focus, focusing on this uh, taking hunger by the horns to work with the uh, feedable yes. nutrition group. And so that's really, really great too, because we know that our students are not going to be successful if they're if they're not done right. getting food to eat. Yeah, yeah, and I'm really excited. Even a subgroup within that, we're still kind of in the in the process of designing right. the thesis research around uh, student veterans and food yes, security. I heard about that. Yeah, so we've that's been fantastic. You know, we've been kind of hammering out what that will look like, and I'm really excited to see that because it's such you know it's such an important subpopulation and absolutely the, the challenges that, that our veterans face, um, you know, over and above the challenges of being a, any freshman on campus, the over and above right. challenges of any veteran coming back from deployment, you know, and, and you put all that together and, and add in food security, food insecurity on top of it, that it's, it's really, um, you know, it's a lot of barriers to, to success. And uh, the way you talked about at the beginning about being focused on student success here at the, at the university. Well, we're the, we're the people to do it. I mean, all the things you're talking about are part of the identity, you know, of your organization, of USF, uh, of this college. And, uh, you know, obviously, we, we really strive to be the most veteran friendly uh, for students. Um, our c- connections with the commands, the combatant commands is, is very, very strong. We work with them a lot. Uh, around family issues and things like that. So I see you sort of drawing a Venn diagram, you know, so we've, yeah. we've got the focus on veterans, we've got the focus on the community, uh, we've got the focus on, on cutting-edge research. I mean, all those things really, really, I think, make USF and, and Feeding Tampa Bay well-positioned to to really move the needle on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm so excited about our partnership and, and all that we're headed towards with the center mm-hmm. as well. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you want to share about just recently receiving the statewide designation for the center. That's a, a big deal that just happened for us. So, Yeah, one of the things we do when we create a new center is we let it percolate around for a little bit to sort of let it find its footing. And then we make an official application to uh, the Board of Governors in the state to make it an official state center. Uh, the the downside of that is that you're then accountable, you know, for 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 everything that you do. The upside upside is you have the visibility um, sure. uh, within the state, and so uh, that was an important milestone for us to to make it a true uh, Florida state uh, center. And I actually think. Uh, just like you were saying about Feeding America and the way you received, I, I think that there's really no limit to the kind of influence that this center could have, mainly because the way we're growing it is in partnership and relationally and organically. We're not trying to make some huge announcement and then try to live up to it. Right. You know, we're actually involving students, involving communities, trying to make a difference. And that's right. the way real, real change happens, right. I think. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about it. 
and and um, I know that Feeding Tampa Bay is thinking about new facilities and things like that. Yeah. I've also been talking with the mall people about that. I just think the more we can be out in the community together, mm-hmm. um, the more we can we can we can really have a positive impact. So it's exciting. Yeah, no question. And I love um, how it has been incremental growth and, yep. and very natural growth too. You know, right. you you said earlier that uh, the the insurance companies have, have funded yep. some research for us in, in food prescription programming. And out of that and mm-hmm. through that relationship, we connected with Feeding America on it. And yep. then they brought even more research funding for us to do uh, an expectant moms pilot with, uh, beautiful, you know, uh, with another food, uh, with, I'm sorry, with another insurance company. And so, yep. you know, it's just, you can see every time we talk about, the work that we're doing together, mm-hmm. the response is almost universally. Oh, that makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. That is a great way to go about really understanding how to impact your community. Because yeah. at the end of the day, that's that's our mission. It's our our work. You know, is to have a deep impact on this community. Well, it, it gets to those two buzzwords that people use: sustainability and and resilience. Right. Yeah. Um, there are so many ways in which we have tried, you know, for hundred for decades at least, to improve communities by trying this and trying that. But we haven't take us taken a systemic approach, and we haven't necessarily been that informed and in partnership with the communities that we're trying to serve. And so, you know, the literature on on international development is littered with examples, right, of where mm-hmm. you go in, you think you know the solution, and you try to impose it, and then you walk away and it collapses, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And so I think what's been smart about our approach is that we've done this hand-in-hand with the communities that we're working with and in partnership. And so consequently, when we, when we turn our backs on it, the chances are that it's going to be uh, sustainable and moving forward. So I think that's that's really key. Yeah, and that you know it, it reinforces the point you were making about UACDC, about mm-hmm. your presence at the mall and out in the community. Yep. Because um, you know, as one of my one of my favorite authors talks about, it's not standing for somebody; it's standing with them. Yeah, and standing shoulder to shoulder with with the folks that you serve, and and it's in that relationship that you learn how to do what needs to be done to change the situation. Absolutely. Yeah, one thing that you uh, you may not know about is, so one of the things UACDC is doing is partnering with uh, Blue Sky to uh, build a 61-unit affordable housing uh, complex on Fletcher. And um, we're so excited about it because it's hard to, it's hard to get those kinds of things built. There aren't very many developers that can do it, uh, where the uh, the cost of housing will be pegged to the minimum income and, and, and that sort of thing. But what was interesting was he gave a report to the board the other day about how they were building this thing, and it's funded with tax credits, basically. Yeah. But what tends to happen is banks will invest in these affordable housing uh, projects. The investor, in this case, is CVS Aetna. Hmm. Which is really interesting. You know Aetna bought CVS, right? So, which, by the way, from an organizational standpoint, the fact that Aetna bought CVS is... (laughs) Just so interesting, <laughs> uh, but they want to they want to provide wraparound services uh, around health and wellness okay. and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, and they're the main investors that are going to get these things built. So it's really mm. really interesting. And, and what my point is that the insurance companies, the hospital systems that I've been working with, they're all increasingly understanding that 
a sort of partnered approach is going to be the way that we get to the other side of this in a way that's not terribly lopsided with income inequality and neighborhoods that are, you know, you know, at, at, at each other and that yeah. sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And I do think there's something about Tampa and about the, the age that we are and the maturity that we are that, and that there's a willingness to collaborate. Mm-hmm. There's not those entrenched kind of differences between uh, industries and, and uh, that will keep this from happening. And so I see that spirit uh, as really being important. Yeah, and it's always been a community where 4,000 square foot houses are a block away from 800 square yeah. foot houses. And, yeah, yeah. you know, it, it's really a, a unique situation. My wife grew up in Sarasota, and, mm-hmm. and it was so difficult for yeah. her to understand what Pinellas <laughs> County was designed <laughs> because, you know, in Sarasota, everything is gated and walled, and mm-hmm. every house is exactly the same in that within those walls. And then you go to other walls, and the, there's a different model of house, but they're all the yeah. same house. And, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and here it's just never been that way. We've grown up kind of together and yep. integrated. And um, it, it really is an opportunity if you're willing to look at it that way. If you want to look at it that way. And it, one, one other stream of work that I've done, which I think informs this, is so uh, I've been working with Hillsborough County uh, and their interface with the Urban Land Institute. Um, and the Urban Land Institute is sort of a think tank, sort of future focused about uh, land use. And um, I did a workshop for some of the major developers in Hillsborough County around the sort of racial history of uh, real estate development in in Tampa Bay. And out of that, they developed a 25-day immersion program where people can Mm. sort of learn about redlining and redistricting and all the different horrible things that sort of led to where we end up today. And if you don't know that history, actually, there's a great book called uh, The Color of Law that sort of goes through that history. Uh, but you know, you ask yourself, wh- you know, why are there cul-de-sacs? Why do some neighborhoods have streets that run through them, and why aren't they like that? Um, why does the interstate jog this direction? And it sort of came up when they were talking about yeah. uh, rerouting the the train and all that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. But but it, I think that that um, the ULI work, the work that the ca- the county is really, our county is trying to rethink uh, land use in a way that doesn't turn us into Los Angeles, that it's not just perpetual sprawl. And that, um, you know, the problem is if you build in South County, which you were talking about before, uh, is that anytime you build a new uh, real estate development, well, it's easy to build on open fields. But then what about the fire station? What about the water lines? What about that sort of thing? And so there's this whole focus on building, you know, within the the limits of the county sort of interior. But then to do that, you have to change people's minds about what a neighborhood should look like. Do you want mixed use development? How do you fold in affordable housing? All those things I think are up in the air now. Yeah, which is good. It's sort of like Spencer Gift next to the free clinic, right? <laughs> Actually, that's that should be the title of the book. <laughs> There's a Spencer's Gift next to my pharmacy. I don't know, but uh, with the produce market, with mm-hmm. the produce market, yeah, yeah, I yeah. want an eggplant and yeah. fresh Florida uh, yeah. poster. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Florida Blue's mission is to help people and communities achieve better health. In partnership with Feeding Tampa Bay, their collective goal is a hunger-free Tampa Bay by 2025. How will we do that? By ensuring that all our neighbors have access to fresh, nutritious food that is essential to a healthy and capable lifestyle. We invite you to join the movement. Visit hungerfree2025.com. So, but I, I do think that that um, 
a lot of our old models are up in the air. Uh, and I think as people are really thinking about inequality um, and they're thinking about how can we live together in a more productive way, I think that this is a time when probably somebody a lot younger than all of us, maybe not younger than you, um, <laughs> will come up with some new idea. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that new idea will be, oh, well, why didn't we think of this? Right. Right. Of course. And there'll be a lot of bad ideas. <laughs> sure. You know, I, when I was living in Venice, California, they put like stores on the first floor and then condos on the second floor and then affordable housing on the third floor and a giant clown statue on the fifth floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that was, I was like, hmm, what was the thinking there? That kind of thing. So, um, but yeah, I really, I, I look forward to, you know, we, we have a recently accredited, uh, newly accredited masters in urban regional planning. Mm. And uh, that sits in the same school with the um, master's degree in public administration. And their worlds are just being exploded. They're yeah. thinking wow. very differently. Okay, between sea level rise, <laughs> preparing for climate, mm. dealing with inequalities. I mean, all these things are coming to bear. So in a way, it's a very... Um, exciting time if mm -hmm. you're comfortable you know with the level of ambiguity around building something that's really different yeah and it's time yeah. it's it time, is well you know? and and to to bring it back a little bit to our world i think the that right there is exactly what we experienced over the last 15 months mm -hmm. with food insecurity yep it mm -hmm. was right in the middle of prosperity Right. You know, there were people who had never thought for a moment that they would struggle with food insecurity. Right. right. Restaurant owners and bar owners. Yep. I have a friend who owns a dueling pianos bar. Yep. And he's been closed for a year. Yep. You know, the the yeah. way in which those have intertwined in our community, I think has as much to do with feeding Tampa Bay's success over the past year as our ability to respond and the things that we've done. Just the awareness that how close people are to hunger themselves individually, but how close you are to someone who is hungry mm -hmm. has, has that, those perspectives have really changed. And hopefully that connects with what you're talking about, which is a community that's comfortable mm -hmm. with that level of integration and that, um, kind of that living with those paradoxes and those differences. Uh, what, what a great observation. I mean, isn't it interesting? So there's so many things that we thought were impossible before the pandemic, mm -hmm. which we've been forced to sort of reckon with. The obvious one that everybody talks about is technology, right? And right. it's like, I will never do telework and I will never be on a Zoom call. Congratulations. That's your life now, yeah. right? Yeah. We all own the badge. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But you're right. I mean, uh, I think in a way it could destigmatize because there's this mm -hmm. sort of latent feeling among some Americans, right, that if you're hungry, uh, it's somehow your fault. You didn't do enough to get food, right? right? Yeah. And then suddenly the externalities that were hitting everybody else hit mm -hmm. you. And you may not be homeless, but you may have a home, but you may be you may not be able to put food on the table right. and suddenly you're going picking yeah. up food right and so if that would be a beautiful thing if people if this would sort of destigmatize and it could happen to any one of us right. and therefore it's not a problem with the individuals it's a problem with the system and the conditions yeah. and right. and all the things that and what are we willing to tolerate as a society in terms of sort of a baseline uh, of what people deserve right yeah right. absolutely and then you know the to take it to the next step to reframe 
food insecurity and hunger, mm-hmm. just as you're saying, not as a moral issue, not right. as a an issue of want to, but as a health issue. Yes, you know, yes. as yes. Yeah. as yes. a health, it is a healthcare crisis. Yeah. You know, just like so many people struggle to make the connection that obesity mm-hmm. is actually a result of food insecurity. Right. You know, it just it, it doesn't make intuitive sense. Right. But you take a minute. And you absolutely it. you see it, right? Yeah, and yeah. and and so it's those little shifts in people's thinking yeah. that I think bring us to this place where we can have a different perspective on hunger. Yeah, I think I, I think we're living in the long shadow of individualism, uh, you know, especially individualism um in a capitalist democracy and and that level of individualism causes us to really want to point the finger at people who are struggling, right? And the same thing you're describing is what we had with mental health as well, right? And mm-hmm. to continue to have some some with mental health. And so if you're not experiencing that problem, you look at the other person and you go, well, you know, they should be making dinner in their own house and they should cheer up and they should do all those kind of things until you finally experience it. Yeah. And then you say, well, wait a second, this is not about that. So you're right. It's about health. Um, it's about... Uh, was it life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness? Mm-hmm, it's about right. it's about all those different kinds mm-hmm. of things, and I I do think that there's. Don't you feel like you know the last year has just sort of opened a door, where yes. uh, people can see for a moment. It's pulled back the curtain, and we can see uh, the horrible uh, racial inequities and the violence that goes mm-hmm. on there. We can see the issues around food security, insecurity. We can see all that stuff, and then the question is. You know, will we do something about it before the door starts to close again? Um, one of the things I, I was always aware of when I lived in, in Los Angeles was that I didn't have to deal with some of the problems of the city because the freeways went over mm-hmm. all of the neighborhoods. Yeah. Whereas when I lived in Philadelphia, I had to drive through North Philadelphia to get to Temple. I had a very different relationship to to that place yeah. because mm-hmm. I, I saw it, mm-hmm. right? But there's so many ways in which our lives are designed to keep us from seeing what's going on. And so part of the job of research, right, is to is to lay that out clearly so that people can't uh, deny it and say, uh, this is the reality. And this is this is our opportunity. I mean, I think we're all feeling this right now, right? Was we don't want to miss the moment. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's a moment to pivot here. We're going to do with technology, the university, we're we're being forced. I mean, we're going to change the way we do education now. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, But can we change some of these other things that need Mm -hmm. to change? Right. Well, And to bring it all the way back to to where we started our conversation the freedom that we've all been seeking Mm -hmm. has not been coupled with the responsibility Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. of what that freedom asks of you to those around you right and that's exactly where this university has made some great decisions because you brought that responsibility with you your responsibility to your students, mm-hmm. the responsibility to your community, mm-hmm. the freedom that you have of the mm-hmm. size of the reputation mm-hmm. of the growth mm-hmm. in your academic, you know, rigor and in your research skill, all of that you brought the responsibility along with you of serving your students and serving your community. There's a we have a uh, Latino scholarship fund, um, and I go every year to uh, to their award uh, uh, event. And their slogan is uh, lift while climbing. Mm. 
Hmm. And so the idea is it's very American to think of the fact that throughout your life you're going to climb in some kind of way, you know, financially, spiritually, whatever else, right? <laughs> but that you should never climb without bringing someone behind you. And I do think that is the sort of blue-collar spirit of, uh, of the University of South Florida, which is that um, we're committed to uh, not just transforming and advancing the lives of our students, but also uh, bringing bringing the 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 the, uh, the success and the health of the community along with it uh, mm-hmm. and helping our and, and by the way um you know people joke about millennials and gen z and all that kind of stuff i guess it's gen z at this point or maybe there's a new gen i don't know um <laughs> Are we people back to joke, a now i, I <laughs> no, it's like hurricanes it's aa right? That's right. so uh but one of the things one of the things i mean I, my wife and i always get really really angry when people start knocking young people today uh our experience with young people today is that they are desperate for transformation. They are desperate to, to, to mm-hmm. heal the world and to heal mm-hmm. society. Uh, and uh, what we need to do is support them uh, and uh, probably also to get out of their way. Yeah, no question. Well, Eric, we thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a, a fantastic conversation. Yeah, a we really appreciate your time. Well, and I appreciate your work, and I appreciate the partnership so very much, and I, I wish you guys all the best, and uh, I know we're going to continue to do great things in this community. Yeah, no question. Together. Thank you. You can learn more about Feeding Tampa Bay and how to join the movement at feedingtampabay.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Feeding Tampa Bay.